All right, so we're continuing our, our David in 3D series today, and I'm going to talk about the kingship of David, and in particular, how that compares to the kingship of Christ. And as you guys may or may not see when you read the Bible, and one reason I love studying the Old Testament along with the New is you start to see these types of shadows, these, these foreshadows, and even what the New Testament calls are shadows of things that are fulfilled in Jesus. And have you guys ever heard the saying, a person is a shadow of one's former self? Have you heard that phrase? Or, or, or um, someone is, um, you're living in somebody's shadow? Have you heard those idioms before? I w- anybody a, a little brother or sister? Yes, I, I grew up in a huge shadow of my brother. He was always the, the smarter one, the better looking one, the better athlete. And so I had a lot of, of a, kind of a chip on my shoulder to, to grow up and, and be like him. Um, you should hear him preach. It just, every time he talks, I, I can't even listen to him anymore because I just, I get like, I just break down every time. You know, people who see me from my college days will think I got sick because I lost like 30 pounds of muscle. So they'll say, well, you're kind of a shadow of your old self. Say, yeah, that's probably true in some degree. But the Bible talks a lot about shadows in a different sense. It uses figurative language to show how the things of the old were just the precursor to the reality of the new. And that's what we're going to see with the kingship of David, how His kingship was merely a shadow of the reality of the real king that was to come. And that's what we're going to explore today. And I really really look at it, and to kind of show you the example of shadow, I'm going to give you two examples in this kind of introduction I have here. The first shadow that we see is is spoke about in, in Scripture is the law. And in Hebrews 10, 1 through 10, it reads, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the reality themselves. For this reason, it can never be the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. And then in verse 10, it says, We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body, Jesus Christ, once and for all. So we see... Even within the in, in New Testament scripture, we see how the law itself is a shadow of the reality because of the sacrifices and the covenants that were made in the Old Testament of what actually is in the new in what we see in Jesus. And then we also see in Hebrews 8, 5 with, with what they call the priesthood. Speaking of the earthly, earthly high priests, he, the, he, the writer of Hebrews says, they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is the mediator is superior to the old one, and it's founded on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. So we even see the priesthood and and again the covenants of the old shadowing what is the reality of what is to come in Jesus. I love studying that because it's almost like you're putting a a puzzle together. You're looking at these Old Testament principles and concepts and the law, which is a beautiful thing, but you see how ultimately it's not the reality of what is to come. It is in Jesus. And that's exactly what we're going to look at with the kingship of David and how the kingship of David and the things that he is, the things that he accomplishes, is nearly a shadowing 
of what is to come in the reality of Christ. And I've tried to limit it down. There's, there's probably like six ways I could have gone into this, but I figured you guys probably didn't want to be here till four o'clock. So I limited it down to two and then a conclusion uh, of a coming king. And so the first, the, the really the ones I have, I have shepherd king is one we're going to look at. Warrior king is the second one. And then I'm going to conclude with the coming king and how we do that. So you guys ready? Before we jump in, let's, let's, let's pray again um, as we go into this. I just want to make sure our hearts are, are open and our, we have ears to hear for what we're about to explore. Lord, I just pray for this group. Lord, I pray that this message will not go unresponsive. But Lord, that we will have a deeper understanding of who you are. Allow us to just grasp the significance of what this word is. Lord, that you are king and what that means to us, where our allegiance stands, where our heartbeat comes from, our sovereign and our reigning king on the throne. Lord, remind us of who you are and and the mightiness of your name and the power that accompanies you. Lord, let this be a message that transforms us from the inside out. That it doesn't lead to just trying harder out of white knuckled, but just enjoying and basking in the presence of knowing who we are and who our King is. Thank you, Lord. In your name, amen. All right, so the first one we're looking at is Shepherd King. Shepherd King. So a Shepherd King is someone who guides people with an authority that is just and righteous by pointing people to God. So the definition of a shepherd king, again, is someone who guides people with an authority that is just and righteous by pointing them to God. So we understand through a lot of this series that David came from very humble beginnings. He was a shepherd. He wasn't this aristocratic politician in Israel. He was really a a nobody in a lot of places. He didn't come from any significant family. He had no real significant title or position. He came from very humble beginnings as a shepherd. And what these humbling beginnings have taught us, really kind of three things as it comes to shepherding kingdom. And a shepherd king, they spiritually guide people toward God. A shepherd king spiritually guides people toward God. They protect God's chosen people. A shepherd has to, you know, protect fight off the bears and the wolves like we talked about or I preached on many, many weeks ago. And then, of course, they feed the people of Israel with justice and equity. So let's look how David accomplished those three things. Second Samuel eight fifteen. if you want to uh, turn or tap to that, you can follow along with me. It says, So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered Justice and equity to all his people. So in this case, David shared, he showed no partiality as he led Israel under the law of God, which spiritually guided them to protection from their enemies, fed their people, and kept them healthy and abundant. As we know from the conditional covenants of of David's time, God was very clear in what his demands were. Obey, my, obey me, 
Obey my law, I will protect you, I will guide you, and I will feed you. And we see how the history of Israel is a constant rise and fall, rise and fall, rise and fall of this pattern. And when David reigned, he reigned with this type of justice and equity in pointing everyone to God and no partiality. Because he understood that the, the humanity that he had, as we know, he was not a perfect king. He had a lot of faults, a lot of sins, a lot of doubts. But he still pointed everybody to God. It preserved the Israelites to their full purpose found in Jesus Christ. The shepherd king pointed to the one of which things originate. Everyone will ask me, there's, you know, why do we even have the law if it's something that's been fulfilled? Right? That's an honest question to have. We'll talk about one part of that later in this, in this sermon, but the, the main part that I think a lot of it is, is it has to, the law is what preserves the line of the Messiah. The law, the law really kept them alive. It kept them separate from, from the Canaanites and from the Babylonians and from the Syrians and and the Phoenicians, it kept them alive. It kept the, the line going. It, it had to fulfill itself. And so the kings of that time, their job and their obligation to God was to usher in those types of, of progression to the Messiah. Everything was pointing to this point in history. In Psalm 24.1, this is a, a Psalm of David. It, it, he writes, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. So even David himself, as the king of Israel, understood that it wasn't his to, to carry. It wasn't his authority to which he administered necessarily. He understood that the, the God of everything was still the king, the ruler, the originator of all things. He still had his allegiance to God. So King David knew that he wasn't the permanent ruler he was, again, the shadow of the shepherd king or, or the shadow that would usher in the second king. Again, even though the many sins of David, and we know there's adultery, there's murder. The story of Bathsheba is a, is a, a mighty big one. But he was considered a, a just ruler because he guided his people towards the knowing of God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So in that sense, he was a shepherd king. He come from humbling beginnings. He, he spiritually guided his people. He protected his people. He was a, we're going to look next to how he was such a great warrior. And he also fed and provided for his people as their king. And because of that, we see the, the promises that God has made to his line. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7 says, For us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness." From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So Isaiah is even seeing this time where there's going to be this, this king, the son of David, who will rise and have a, temp, or a permanent place on the temporary throne of King David and will last forever. 
And then in Jeremiah 23, 5, it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for a day, for when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, or from David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. So again, we see a king who is coming, a righteous branch. So the good shepherd fulfills the king's shepherd role in justice and righteousness. And I hope you all know who the good shepherd is. If you don't, read John 10. We're going to look at some of that today. So the good shepherd, the Israelites were told that they would have a king that would administer justice and righteousness for all eternity with full authority. Again, what, that's what a shepherd king does. He administers and guides his people with authority and just and righteousness. So John 10, 10 through 11, Jesus says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it into the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Again, in, in verse 18, same chapter, it says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. So we see this shepherd theme from Jesus himself when he starts talking about how he is the good shepherd, how he spiritually guides his people, his sheep, how he provides for his sheep, how he has the authority to lay down the needs of his sheep. But he can only do that from a place of authority, which is in the office of king. So Jesus Christ, in that sense, is our shepherd king, like David was to Israel because he brought justice and righteousness, except that Jesus is superior because his authority originates from him. His authority originates from him as the shepherd king. In Romans three twenty-five through 26, it says, For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin, People are made right, righteousness, with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. God, this, God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. And he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. I'm throwing a lot of scriptures at you. I know, I apologize, but I really need that you guys understand this good king and this good shepherd because from that, you'll understand where the authority and where your providence comes from. Because so often we'll, we'll try to do things by ourselves, And you'll realize that you're not even doing it without, it's kind of the retrospective idea where you realize you're going through a situation and you're trying to handle it by your own doing. Whereas when you understand that you have a shepherd king, you are not the shepherd. You are the one being shepherded. You are the lamb that's being to being walked around. You were the one listening to the, the shepherd calling, coming when he calls. There's a great and powerful thing a part of that. That really is a transformative and identity that will happen when you understand that. So we are spiritually guided by his word. My sheep know my voice is what Jesus says. So we're spiritually guided by his word. We are eternally protected by his blood. So we're eternally protected and provided for by the blood that was done on the cross. 
And we are provided by, for by the promises that he has made. One of my favorite promises that Jesus made in Matthew 28, 20 says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is a good shepherd. And he is superior to King David. The next part I want to talk to you about is warrior king. This is probably my favorite one. The warrior king. A king is normally called to lead the fight against their enemies. A king is normally called to lead the fight against their enemies. Now, if I I revisit the Bathsheba incident for a minute, we all know that what David did with Bathsheba through adultery and and how how he murdered her husband is wrong. That's pretty clear. I think anybody would agree with that. But in the time of David, it was actually not only considered wrong, but it was considered shameful. Not shameful because of the adultery or the murder. The shame happened because he wasn't with his troops. He wasn't on the front lines with his, with his army. A king was supposed to be leading from the front. A king was supposed to be there with his army, and this guy instead was at home. So there was this deeper shame that accompanies that story. It was shameful for David. So we understand that David definitely had his flaws, not only from a sense of, of sin, as we all do, but also he had this, this political shame that accompanied him after this event. And we like to think of David as this great warrior king, which he was, but he was not always fearless. Again, he was a person just like us. He had overwhelming episodes of fear, which I call paralysis by analysis because you just overthink everything that it just cripples you. You can't move. You're you're paralyzed. In Psalms 55, 5, David shows us how this kind of fear can, can take over you, even as you are a warrior king. He says, fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. So we know that there were definite times in his life that he was completely crippled by fear. But yet he was this great and powerful warrior. And I read this great quote that really summarizes a lot of what this looks like for David. It says, fear is not what characterizes bravery. Boldness in the midst of fear is bravery. Boldness in the midst of fear is bravery. So it takes boldness to take one's fears to God, fears to God when their life is overcome with fear. And what do we say by warrior king is that David, he not only was a great champion on the battlefield, but he was a greater warrior in the prayer room. He was a greater warrior in the prayer room. People used to shout to David, 1 Samuel 18, 7 is a great example. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. It was a celebration. People used to think, wow, how does David do this? Obviously, this is a line. This is where Saul started getting real jealous of David, where a lot of his controversy and conflict started to come from. But David stood as a strong warrior because of his relationship he had with God. The warrior king did not come from just his ability to, to throw a sling or his ability to handle a spear or a shield. He understood that God himself 
is his warrior. He understood that God himself is the intervener in the fighter of his battles. 1 Samuel 18, 14 is proof of this when it says, And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And it came first from David understanding where everything originated from. Not only was he shepherded by our God, but he was understanding of the warrior that God was for him. King David was a warrior because he believed in God and he obeyed him, not through his own strength, but that of the Lord's. He was yet again the shadow of another warrior king that would come from Israel. So here we're going to look at Jesus Christ as our warrior king. And I think this really goes up against a lot of the presuppositions of who Jesus was. Because if you study the four Gospels, you don't really necessarily think, wow, this is some great warrior. Right? You wouldn't come out of that conclusion thinking, man, this is a, a mighty general. You think, man, this is, if you're, if you're reading it kind of for uh, a secular purpose, you might even think, here's a, here's a guy who's homeless, who actually owns nothing, but yet carries with him this strange authority. That's why I love Jesus. He, he perplexes us. He confuses us in a way where we just think, how, how could God use that? I don't know if you ever thought that, but I have. And now one of the expectations of the Messiah would be that he would be a warrior king. This is one of the, the great confusions that the Pharisees and the people of Israel had for him. And this is why Jesus was always so cautious about revealing himself to people when the time was right. You often hear it said in the Bible, he would say, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. Shh, don't tell anybody about this. One reason he does that is because he didn't want this mob of thousands of people to grab him and say, here's our warrior king. Here's our Messiah. And he's like, I'm not the political warrior king that you're looking for. I'm not an aristocratic Israelite. The, the people of Israel are looking for a political liberator. Jesus understood and he knew, obviously, that he was bigger than that. He was greater than that, that he was a warrior king, but not in the sense that they were looking for. He was expected to free Israel from the Romans. Jesus didn't come as a noble politician leading a massive Judean army because his battles are not being fought in the flesh and blood. And our battles are the same way. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. We don't fight against our neighbors. We love our neighbors. In Matthew 18, 36, Jesus even says, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But not my kingdom is from, but no, my kingdom is from another place. So we know Christ's kingdom isn't political. It doesn't originate from this world. It originates from a different place. But we can still come to him in this world. And just like David, he is the one who fights our battles. There's a great liberation and freedom when you understand that God is the one who will take vengeance for you. That God is the one who will strike down 
the enemies we have. In Psalm 35, 1 through 3, David writes, Contend for me, O Lord, with those who strive with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for my help and draw out the spear and stop those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Does that sound like a warrior to you? It does to me. That is what you would say to someone who is going to go in for a fight. Take up your shield. Take up your spear. Draw your bow. Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And I really feel like there's people in this room that need to hear that. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. But our kind of humanity, even as you may read that, you might think, well, what do I have to do? What do I have to do to be still? I know I've thought that. What, what kind of things do I have to put in place so I can be still? It's kind of silly when you think about it. But the still is really speaking of is this contentment, this, this assurity, this faith that comes from the hope that we have in God. Because when you go into any circumstance, and I know you're all dealing with stuff to some degree or another, especially you look at the people in paradise or, or the the people in Southern California dealing with the shootings. Or I'm thinking of, of the, I was, I'm from Moab where they lost three guys this year in, or this week in a, in a mining accident. And I just, I kept thinking of this verse as I, and I wrote it down. I was thinking, man, to be able to understand that whatever comes against me, Whatever situation comes against me, whatever scenario or, or person or whatever that is, I can be still and know that my Lord and my King is the one who's going to lead the armies against that, person, that thing that comes against me, that situation. That is a, a, a powerful assurity, assurity of the hope that we have in Jesus. Your warrior king is, is, is fighting for every hour and every day. Don't take it upon yourselves to fight your battles because our king is a warrior. I'm not saying you'll never experience temporary defeats or setbacks. I've learned more about God in my temporary defeats and setbacks than I ever have any other way. In the victories, I praise him and I remember those victories, but in the defeats and the setbacks is where I learn. I learn I need a deeper faith in him. I need to learn, I need to be still. I need to learn, oh man, this is my warrior king who doesn't sit back in shame and, and wait and watch, but he is active and he is fighting on the front line. He may even be fighting for your heart right now. I don't know. He's fighting for you. And this is the king who leaves the 99 and goes after the one. We talk, about that, we talk about that a lot in Utah County because it seems like that's what it's all about. We, we fight for the one. Who's the one that's, that's, that's being pulled out? You know how many people I've led to Christ in Utah County in two years? Two. How many conversations I've had? A lot. 
two. And it just takes that one. It's after the one. After the one. And I know that our king is fighting for us. So like King David conquering his enemies, our king has conquered our enemies who we struggle against. Ephesians 6.12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So we're going to have fights. I don't know you, but I've kind of liked to fight now. I used to hate it. I used to not like it. I used to think, God, why are you putting me through this? Did, wasn't I good? I gave you my life. Why do I have to experience this? And then I, when I the deeper understand the kingship and sovereignty of God, I understand that I'm not going through this without a purpose. That my king is, is, is pushing me into battle because battle is sharpening everything that we have. Again, I know I talked a little bit about this last time I preached, but I really feel like complacency is the ultimate enemy of the church. And it's so simple because it seems so easy. And if you're living that kind of simple, easy lifestyle, it's, it's hard to know if you're in a fight. I remember something Pastor Eric said once. I won't try to quote him, but I'll paraphrase it. He said that the people who get punched in the face, and if you've never been punched in the face, you won't know what to do. But as soon as you get punched in the face, you know the next time you got to put your dukes up. <laughs> Just takes one time before you realize I got to put my hands up. And Jesus, as our warrior king, a lot of times is putting our hands up. He's going to push us into places that we might take a few shots to the face, but he's going to be there. And he's going to be fighting for us and with us. He understands that our king contends for us. As a warrior, our shouts to heaven, our hurts and pains, our inflictions, we give to our warrior king. There's so many Psalms I could go over where, where David is on his knees in some kind of a, an anguish. And he just gives it all to God. Every pain, every sorrow, every infliction, he's saying, God, give, I'm giving it to you. And that's how we fight. We don't take up literal bows and arrows and, and guns. We fight on our knees and we give it all to God because he is our king. He is our warrior. And it's something that the world looks at and says, this is ridiculous. This is, it's almost right foolishness because they don't understand our warrior king. They understand that our, our vengeance comes from him. Our protection comes from him. Do you understand that? Does your prayer life reflect that? Do you understand that you can give everything to your warrior king and he will fight for you? You give everything to your shepherd king and he will provide for you and lead you. He is the reality of the shadowing of David. And we have it. We have it. We don't live in the time of shadows. We live in the time of the one who casts the shadow. Amen? Jesus 
is our coming king. Unlike King David, who served God's purpose in his own generation and was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed, that says that's a temporary shadow of what's to come. Our king, our shepherd king, our warrior king is coming king. His body did not decay. He is still here. I know it's not Easter, but I'm going to say it. He is risen. He is risen indeed. There it is. I like it. His body did not decay. Our King Jesus will not decay because he is coming back. This is great news for the believer and horrifying news for the unbeliever. This is great news for the believer and horrifying news for the unbeliever. Because it all lies on, the, on Jesus coming back. I was talking to one of the, my new age friends, let's call them that. Um, you guys heard of what new ageism is and everything? It's kind of a conglomeration of a lot of different, thing, a lot of different thoughts and, and beliefs. A lot of emotionalism and, and feelings based. But I asked her, I said, you know, everything really rides on who Jesus is. Wouldn't you agree? Everything rides upon who Jesus is. And she says, oh, yes, yes. And if you're in my Gospel of John class, you've ever heard this story, so you can, you can turn it off a little bit. But she said, oh, he's one of the ascended masters. You know, there's many, many ascended masters. I was like, interesting, okay. I said, so have you ever experienced him? She said, oh, yeah, I experienced him. I was like, okay, tell me about it. She said, oh, well, I was doing my energy works. No idea what that is. Don't ask me. I was doing my energy works, and he appeared to me, and he was this tall guy, and, and he was really funny, and, and he was one of those, like, cool guys, like, hey, like, let's hang out, bro, kind of guys. And I, I thought, okay, I mean, how do, you, how do I come against that? Because I think he is a cool guy. But I thought, you know, what we get from Jesus is not what we read about when he's coming back. The cool guy, hang loose, bro, is not the Jesus who's coming back. Because this is the description of our eternal king. And this is why it is great news for the believer and horrifying news for the unbeliever. In Revelation, that's right, I'm going there. Revelation 19... 11 through 16. I'm going to read this for you. This is our king. This is our coming king. It says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and his head are on many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of kings 
and Lord of Lords. Amen. That is our king. That does not sound like a a cool, hey, let's hang out, bro guy. That there is a, a shepherd king and a warrior king who's going to fight our battles. He in the realities of who he is. Even King David himself bowed to this king. King David, the, the, probably the greatest ruler of his time. I mean, he ruled an empire. I mean, that was just, it was, it's just, in ancient times, it's just ridiculous to think about. It's like if the little state of Utah really ruled all of the United States. That's what that looks like. And yet that king bowed to our king because he understood the place. Other kings have bowed to our king. You look at the king of, of Babylon, of Assyria. They had kings that, that understood and bowed to our king. The prophets foretold of him. In fact, we even have a prophetic king. I could have talked about that as well, how our king is a prophet. The law foreshadowed him because it was a shadow of the reality that was going to be him. He spiritually guides, protects, and provides. He is ready to do battle for you and has already achieved victory by the blood he spilled on the cross. That is the ultimate victory, my brothers and sisters. That the victory of our eternal state has been accomplished by the warrior and shepherd king on the cross. His blood was spilled so that our blood would not have to be. And his reign will last forever. And his reign will last forever. Again, great news for the believer, horrifying news for the unbeliever. A kingdom that will never perish. A king that will never resign his throne. No election can dethrone him. This entire country could completely fall apart and he would still be king. California can burn and we still have a king. We can dwindle down to five of us and he will still be king. Are you ready to meet your king? Some of you are saying yes. Other ones are going, I don't know. Because he's coming. And we, as we know, we've seen from, from things in our own lives, life tomorrow isn't guaranteed. We need to be understanding and we need to know what it means to be in a just place before our king because our king is also judge. And to be able to stand before him. And we know that through his shepherding that he's going to judge with righteousness and equity. So that the obvious question to that is, is okay, then what does that mean? How do, I, how do I get to a place of justice and equity? Enter in the gospel. That Jesus took all of our sin. God sent him with the very purpose of crushing him because of that. That he had to send a man and sacrifice that man, the humanity of Jesus, so that we could stand in the courtroom of God, in the very throne room of God, 
and he would see each and every one of us because of our belief in him, our faith in him, and decree righteous, justified. Because it's not about what we did, it's about what Jesus has done. And all we have to do is believe in that. It it almost seems oversimplified. All I have to do is believe. But this world is going to take your eyes off of everything. Off of the goal that is in mind. Off the single-mindedness that is the kingdom of God. Easy to believe? Try walking it. Try going through every situation and every scenario and still recognizing that I have a shepherd king and a warrior king who fights for me. But we hold on to the hope and assurance that we have in faith that we have a coming king who will come in like we read about in Revelation 19. I don't know about you, but that is a conquering hero. That is someone who's a liberator and a freedom maker who's going to end everything we've ever had that has pulled us away. The pain, the hurt, there will be no more. Jesus is our king. I want to take a minute to respond to this massive truth. There's really, there's always two people I speak to. There's those who have never had the opportunity to respond to this message. Because the gospel of Jesus, again, demands response. It cannot go unresponsive. And then there's those who are believers, but they may not understand this. Or their life may not reflect this kingdom. Or this king. Their faith may still be in other things. So the first ones, the ones who have never accepted Christ, have never bowed the knee to his sovereignty. I'm going to ask you, if that's you, to respond, to bow your knee to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Break out. I'm asking God right now to just smack out the pride. To break everything down to the point where we're just weak and all we have is Jesus. Because from weakness, we have so much strength. Because we realize we have no control. So let it go. Again, the, the second person, that second type of person, the believer who, who still struggles to, ah, to bend the knee, still wants to do things his way or her way. I'm asking you again, bow the knee to your king of kings. And let go of what's holding you back from something that is just beyond imagine. So can we stand? If you're in that first group and you've never had the opportunity to say, Jesus, you are my Lord and you are my Savior, I'm I'm asking you to respond. Not for my sake, but for yours. Because again, our king is coming. 
And if you don't believe, it's a scary message for you. Everyone just bow their heads. And if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. It's not the raise of hand that will save you, but it'll give us the acknowledgement of knowing that you want to respond. Respond to Jesus. Respond to our King. I see you. Amen. That second group, the believers who are holding on to things, they're not letting the shepherd king guide them. They're not letting the warrior king fight for them. I'm asking you to respond by letting go. Let the king of kings and Lord of lords establish himself in you. Let him fight your battles for you. Be still and know that he is God. Anxiety be gone in the name of Jesus. Stress be gone in the name of Jesus. Doubt be gone in the name of Jesus. Worry be gone in the name of Jesus. Insecurity be gone in the name of Jesus. Your past be gone in the name of Jesus. Everybody wants to be a new creation. Under this King of kings and Lord of lords, just raise your hands. Want to be a new creation. Lord, you are King of kings. Our King Jesus. You are our shepherd. You guide us. You protect us. You feed us. You are our warrior. With your sword, you protect us. With your word, you fight the battles for us. The enemy will come against us. He will try to steal, kill, and destroy. But you, our king, fight for us so that we can have a life and life in abundance, free of the chains of this world. In your mighty power and your goodness, free us of everything we hold on to that's not you. You are all we desire. You have achieved our victory. We long for you coming, King. On your white horse, your blazing eyes, with the blood dripping from your, from your robe, you will liberate this world. And we will get to spend eternity with you. Thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you have done in history, and in our lives. In your glorious name, amen.